0: Hi there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 561 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. I'm Jason Evans. I'm here with Donald Wine. We're both stuffed full of turkey, even though it's a couple days after Thanksgiving. Donald, how are you doing today?
1: I've had several itises since Thanksgiving night, so this is great.
0: (laughs) I got to tell you, just super really quick. So we had uh, like 13 family, family members in town. It was a very, very big weekend for the Evans family. And we kept on Like we'd order Chinese food for everybody one night, and then we have Thanksgiving, and then we all went out to Maggiano's with a bunch of leftovers. Mm -hmm. I I I'm a very lucky for person. I I'm fortunate, and I own three refrigerators. It's just happenstance of remodeling and things like that. All three of them, all three are filled to the gills with leftovers. (laughs) My wife and I like our kids have now left. All the other family has left. My wife and I have enough food for like the next two weeks. (laughs) <laughs> that's leftover that's, italian chinese and turkey
1: that means you did it right that means you ate a lot but you have a lot <laughs> left over you don't have to worry about cooking you don't have to worry about like well i want to go to order you just just go in the fridge right the fridge
0: <laughs> exactly well the nice thing is i do all the cooking around the house so it means that i don't have to make meals for the next several days which is exactly. always lots of uh, lots i enjoy of, i enjoy getting that break all right lots of
1: turkey sandwiches
0: yes uh speaking of turkey the blue devil's almost laid one on Friday night against Southern Indiana, uh, this was not the game that anyone expected it to be. If you if you were one of those folks who hopped on your podcast feed on Friday before the game happened to hear Donald and I break it down, I don't think either one of us anticipated a contest anything like what ended up happening in in this game. The Blue Devils ended up beating Southern Indiana by a score of eighty to sixty two. Donald, I'd argue that the game was was far closer than that final score indicated. Absolutely, Although I'm not sure. I don't think I ever in fact I know I was I was never worried about this game. Uh in fact, there was a moment in the um uh in the first half when gosh, uh, Southern Indiana, I think they were up by they were about, about 10 points. I was watching the game with my brother-in-law who's a fellow Duke, he graduated a couple of years, like a year after me or two years after me. Um I didn't know him at the time because he wasn't my brother-in-law at the time. <laughs> that makes watching sense. With, I was watching with him and with my kids and his kids. We're all Duke fans. And Duke was down about 10 points. And I said, if you give me Duke minus 15, I'm still taking it right here. No question about it. And everyone was like, okay, well, we'll track. We'll see that. We'll track that. And up until the final minute, minus 15 was looking like it was in a lot of danger. <laughs> Duke got there to an 18-point margin at the end. But uh, but it was, it was a very, very tough game. And, and full credit to Southern Indiana. I mean, no question about that. But before we get to our full recap, let's start with the headlines like we always do. We had several really, really good ones from people who were uh, definitely paying attention to the turkey theme. (laughs) Josh Levinson brought us this one. He said, kicking and screaming eagles go down despite devils playing like cold turkeys. I like that, Josh. Tom Wildermuth, who, by the way, is one of our most reliable emailers. Tom, Tom hits us up virtually every game. Tom had this one. Too much turkey in the first half. A lot more stuffing in the second. I like that. Jason, is, that was
1: my favorite one. That was yeah. my favorite one by far.
0: Way to go, Tom. This was a tale of two halves. There's no question about that. Ken Hazen chimes in with, Duke confused by starting time. Begin play at seven. Unfortunately, the game time was six. Ken, I, <laughs> thought, that, I thought that was brilliant also. That's really good. I, I, I completely agree. For the first hour, it was like the Devils weren't even there. And then lastly, I had Ken Goodson who said, tryptophan overdose almost catches up with dozing devils a uh, little uh, a little allusion to to the uh the chemical that in turkey that causes us to fall asleep yeah it was it looked like we were sleepwalking for at least half that game donald were there any other headlines you liked
1: no i like i said i think tom wilder was my favorite one there was a lot of uh references to eagles and birds i think howard Vigan um said filipowski flips off the birds you know borderline for this. Yeah,
0: yeah. I but, intentionally left that one out, but but like, it's,
1: it's one of those where like, yeah, it, it, you know, we'll talk about flip obviously during this game, but you know, the screaming Eagles really came to play as you mentioned, and and they deserved uh, the the effort that they gave. It, it, it was definitely deserving. Uh, even though they went down, they should be very, very happy with their effort in Cameron.
0: Yeah. So let's get right to the, uh, the good, the bad, and the plays of the game and stuff like that. Uh My good, and I'm going to start with this one. There was three minutes and 29 seconds left in the first half. The Blue Devils were down eight points, 32 to 24, and there was a media timeout. And at that media timeout, at that point in the game, Ken Pomeroy, who keeps track uh, on a rolling basis with every second of the game of your chances to win the game, had lowered Duke's odds. From all the way down at ninety nine point seven percent, he gave the Blue Devils a ninety nine point seven percent chance to win. He lowered us from ninety nine point seven all the way down to ninety six point seven. Still prohibitive favorites, but the Blue Devils were down eight points, and like I said, less than four minutes to go in the half, and the starters were had been had been in at that moment, and after the TV timeout, most of them, all of them, other than Tyrese Proctor, remained seated on the bench. Tyrese Proctor came back out and he was joined by Caleb Foster, Jalen Blakes, Sean Stewart, and Ryan Young. Now, I'm I'm telling you right away, Donald, that's not like an ideal offensive lineup. <laughs> it's not one
1: that it, it exudes confidence that you're going to put a punch, bunch of points to the board, but Jason, I know you're going to get to this. This is one of the pl- this is one of the plays of the game.
0: No, yes, absolutely. Those guys came in and they were killers. They clamped down on the defensive pressure like, wow. And you saw Southern Indiana suddenly scrambling, unable to find any offensive rhythm. It was was a changing point in the game. And and look, you know, I I don't want to, you know, we can't crisscross between the good and the bad too much. We're going to reference this again when we get to the bad, because the players talked about how they had played prior to this and then how they played after it. It was a turning point in the game, and it wasn't a turning point like, oh, Duke suddenly ran off 15 points in a row or something like that. We, we did go on a pretty big run there, stretching from the end of the first half through into the first several minutes of the second half. A very nice run that that completely changed the game around. But it was, to me, Donald, it was the attitude, the effort, the intensity that those guys brought when they were on the floor. It wasn't even like it ended up Like, if you look at the box score, it's not like, oh, they got three steals, blocked a shot and forced a shot clock violation. It was just you saw that those guys were like, "Uh uh-uh, we're here to play now. And Southern Indiana, you're going to have trouble even bringing the ball up, you know, past the timeline because we are all in your business. I I thought that was, and, and I mean, it obviously it completely changed the complexion of the game, just the effort that those guys brought and the way the rest of the team responded to that. So that's my first good. I bet you want to talk about it.
1: Absolutely. Jason is what we call statless domination, because as you mentioned, not a lot of stats can reflect what they did in that game. And and even John Shire afterwards, he talked about that. And he mentioned something, Jason, that we've talked about in this season so far with all these guys coming off the bench, the rotations kind of flip flopping. And he mentioned what that group, he said, they got us close. I think it was four at the half. It could have easily been 10 or more. For that group and our bench, you never know when your number is going to be called. They picked up the energy and they picked up the fight on defense, which, again, as I mentioned, a lot of these things, it's not like they were coming in and, you know, blocking shots off the glass and throwing alley-oop dunks and hitting a bunch of threes. Right. They, were, they just played the defense that we expected the entire game, and they picked up the energy, which was missing in that first half. So, uh, like I said, you never know when your number is going to be called. He alluded to that in the in his comments and said, hey, when these guys got their number called, they came in and they provided the energy and they provided the effort that was required to be a Duke basketball player at that moment.
0: Yeah, it was fight to me. What I was seeing was a team out there fighting and they hadn't been fighting up until then. And it's worth noting, all game long it felt like Southern Indiana was throwing stuff in that they would not ordinarily make. There were, you know, the announcers were like, well, that guy just hit a second three-pointer. He's hit four in his career. And you're like, what the heck is going on? I can't even count how many times I screamed. Oh, come on at the screen after Southern Indiana had hit some shot that I'm like, they, there's no way they make that shot on a regular basis. I don't watch this team very much. There's just no way they hit those shots all the if, time.
1: There was a lot of, uh, of those like, you know, two seconds left in the shot clock and they would throw up a three and it would go in and then like the announcers would be like, well, that won't happen again. And then yeah. like two plays later, it would happen again. So yeah, again, full credit to Southern Indiana for their effort. And again, Sometimes those shots go in. Sometimes those shots go out. If those shots go out, we're, we're talking about a 40-point blowout. But it wasn't that way. And because of that, again, they kept building momentum. And they kept fighting. They kept fighting. But this unit, Jalen Blakes, Caleb Foster, Tyrese Proctor, Sean Stewart, Ryan Young, they countered the energy. And we needed that at that particular moment. Again, go back to the beginning of the season, Jason. You know, the first practice, you know, John Shire said that he – didn't want our guys to be at their best all the time but at when best was required best was yes. required at that moment and they brought it
0: yeah i like that the the reason i brought up the fact that they were making all those shots was that i did feel like that this duke team did not seem to get flustered you know when they got down i didn't see guys coming down and being like okay i got to do this right now they they recognized that there was still plenty of time left in the game they recognized that they're the better team and that they are capable of of shutting southern indiana down when they need to and then scoring points when they need to but but i really like the fact that there was no panic in this duke team there was no fluster in them because you know that that could easily happen there are plenty of teams even some duke teams i've seen in the past who who have succumbed to that all right hey should we talk about a couple players yeah i think there's
1: a couple that need to be need to be shouted out
0: yeah uh so you, you go ahead and start with start it
1: Oh I'm starting with Kyle Filipowski especially in that second half um when you look at this full stat line 21 points 14 boards 3 assists 3 blocks and one steal uh, and I think he just had the one turn, turnover early in the first half so he he had a great game and again and when their points Yo, when that
0: can, can I can I give the second half stats cuz mm-hmm. his second like those stats the full game stats very impressive yeah. his second half stats and folks go ahead and double these <laughs> imagine if he did this for a full game 15 points 7 rebounds two blocks I mean, yeah, in the second half, he was ridiculous. He was
1: ridiculous. And again, he realized at one point, like, hey, I got to play better. I'm the best player on this floor. And he played like it. And with for Kyle Filipowski, also, I think in the first half, there were times where even when we weren't really, you know, doing much. The person who was trying to get us out of it, at least with his play, was Kyle Filipowski. He was manhandling guys inside. He was getting to the basket. He was making shots. He was getting to the free throw line. You know, he was doing everything that needed to be done. But again, his energy in the second half was really what set us off on that run. I think he had a point where he scored like eight of the first 10 points or something like that. And it was just him just taking the ball. Backing down and going to the rim and getting buckets, and that's what Flip does. He wasn't great from behind the arc today or la- on Friday night, but he was able to make up for it in other ways. Like I said, he he cleaned up on the glass, he provided defense, he even provided some assists when we needed him, and and he put the ball in the basket. So that's what you expect from Kalifowski, and in the full game, but that second half especially, he was he was excellent.
0: Yeah, I thought I thought he was almost unstoppable in the post. Uh, he, he got the shot he wanted. Now he didn't, he'll even tell you, he didn't knock down. There were some of these shots that he missed in close that, that he probably expects to hit, but, but I thought his, his ability to get where he wanted to be in the post was, was truly elite. Um, and and then the other guy I want to talk about in terms of their second half was Jeremy Roach. I've been, I've been the dude bagging on him. I've been the dude mentioning, you know, what's Jeremy Roach has just been deferring a lot lately. Hasn't been scoring as much and hasn't been taking as much control on offense and lo and behold, in the second half, he puts up 16 points again, 16 points in the second half, took the ball into the paint again and again, created shots for himself to the tune of five of eight um, field goals in the second half, two three-pointers. And he drew a lot of fouls and got to the free throw line. I also noticed that as well, that like he was getting in there and they they knew they couldn't stop him. So they were trying to put a body on him and they they were fouling him a lot. This was the Jeremy Roach that takes over games. This is the Jeremy Roach that we need to see from Duke against our top opponents. And frankly, hasn't been there for about a week and a half or so. And so I was glad to see him come back.
1: Playoff germ. That's what it was in the second half. Like that, that type of, of attitude and going and getting his, uh, and, and it was mentioned the fact that he didn't even have an assist and I almost don't care. Right. Because that yeah. was, that was his job right there was to provide the score and provide the leadership, provide the attack. Uh, and so he did that. I think also it coupled well with Tyrese Proctor who had seven assists in this game. So he was feeding guys uh, all over the place and, and, really making it where, you know, even though he had an off shooting night, he, he had 11 points, but it was an off shooting night for Tyrese Proctor. He was making up for it by distributing the ball to the guys who were getting buckets.
0: Yeah. Although Tyrese Proctor broke his streak. He had three games in a row of zero turnovers. He had some turnovers in this game, but I, I thought Proctor for the most part had a pretty good game. You know, among the starters, there's some guys who struggled. I thought Proctor you know, other than those long range shots that he that he I'm sure he'll tell you he should have knocked down. I thought he had a pretty nice game. The the last thing I wanted to mention in the good and then I'll let you wrap up the good if you got anything else is I th- I just thought in general. Look, we talked about it regarding Flip and Roach, but just in general, I thought Duke did a very good job of taking the ball to the bucket. We outscored Southern Indiana 48 to 24 in the paint, you know, in a, in a game that was reasonably close in a game where Duke could not shoot straight for us to get that that many points in the paint really, really mattered. I mean, we couldn't find the range in the outside; just twenty seven percent on our three pointers. But so we made it work with post ups and penetration. And I'll tell you something: I looked at the shot chart from this game. Duke only took four mid range shots in this game. You know, that's a shot outside the lane, outside the paint, <clears throat> but inside the three point line. Duke only took four mid range shots in this game. That's the fewest in any game this season. If you are a regular listener to our podcast, <laughs> you know that Jason hates the mid range shot. It's not a good shot. Uh, By the way, on the season, Duke's only hitting 38% on those mid-range shots. There's a reason I hate that shot. It is just not worth it. So I I love the fact that Duke avoided falling into the trap of the mid-range game. And and that in a game where we knew we weren't hitting three-pointers, we didn't take a lot of them. We only attempted 18 three-pointers in this game. That's their fewest since we only took 17 against Dartmouth, another game where we somewhat struggled from the perimeter. But this team recognizes when they're on and when they're not, and and they find other ways to score when they're not scoring from the outside. And, I, you know, if we're chalking up stuff to the good in a game that doesn't have a ton of good in it, definitely Duke's shot selection and ability to get where they needed to was something that I thought mattered in this game.
1: You know, I'm going to end with this. Uh, you know, we showed love to him earlier, but Ryan Young and Caleb Foster, I thought when they were in the in the game, you know, both of them really only had like 10, 11 minutes in the game. But they made efforts while they did. Brian Young, five points, two for two from field goals, three rebounds in 10 minutes. Caleb Foster, nine points off the bench. I thought, again, they provided a lot of energy. And Ryan Young had a couple. I think both of his uh, layups came off of offensive rebounds that he got. He missed, maybe missed a shot or somebody missed a shot. He wouldn't got the rebound, did some post move, maybe did a dad move or two and then laid the ball in and, again, provided that effort and that energy to say, hey, guys, we need to get rebounds, and from there we can get second-chance points. It, It wasn't that many, but, again, those two things helped spark a lot of what we were doing in the second half.
0: All right, let's move to the bad, and there is some stuff that definitely needs to be discussed here. Donald, you just said the words effort and intensity. Under my notes on the bad, the very first line says, Effort and intensity.
1: Mine says energy and intensity. So we're, we're in the same, same thing, baby. Same thing. Same, yeah.
0: Different words, same meaning. Kyle Filipowski and Jeremy Roach came out and spoke to the media in the post game, And both of them admitted that the team did not take this opponent seriously. The Duke did not have the effort and have the intensity that our opponent deserved. And Flip said they had a mindset that they should not have against any team. I'm glad the guys recognize that, but it is still a real, real problem that this that this Duke team clearly was overlooking Southern Indiana and wasn't focused on playing a Division I basketball opponent. Um, both Flip and Roach said that the, the defense by those bench dudes at the end of the first half was the turning point in the game and that it inspired everyone to play harder in the second half. But I'm telling you something, they should have been playing harder from the opening whistle. You are at Duke, you are going to get everyone's best shot. You cannot, you cannot come out and just be lackadaisical and not respecting your opponent. It was, it, you know, that first half was one of the worst efforts I've seen from a Duke team in many, many years. It, it, it cannot happen again. I don't, that you know, there may be, maybe there's one or two other games in the schedule where you can lounge around, and then turn it on in the second half and and still win by close to 20 points. But this will not work against the vast majority of teams that Duke is playing, and frankly, they should not get in the habit of doing this.
1: Uh, I'll go further, Jason. I don't want to see it. I don't think there's any games left on the schedule where this, where you can get away with this after it happening here. And remember, this was Southern Indiana's first trip to Cameron. It was the first time Duke and Southern Indiana had ever met. So, of course, Southern Indiana was going to be up for this game, like as we mentioned, they were one in five, and the only team they had beaten was a team from Tiffin, Ohio. That's not even in Division One. This team came ready to play, and you have to expect that every team that has walked in the Cameron this year has come ready to play. And the answer that we have to provide is energy and intensity. Southern Indiana had it in the first half; we did not, and it wasn't just the not making baskets. I know uh, John Shire mentioned the slow start was about our defense and about the fact that we weren't really making a lot of baskets and Hey, that's going to be fine. They're, like, like we mentioned, there's a lot of times we played excellent defense in Southern Indiana, still made buckets. You can't get down on that. But the part about the effort effort and intensity is always something that you can break. If you can't make a shot, you can still bring that effort and intensity. We saw that from that five that came out after the under four media timeout in the first half and took us to the end of uh, the first half. The effort and intensity can be there even if you were not filling up the stat sheet and we just did not have it. And that's something that I don't think anyone wants to see again. K-Man, uh, our, our friend uh, K-Man uh, mentioned this, that Callum Flip said, hey, they weren't ready to play and the effort level wasn't there. It wasn't. And I'm glad that they recognize it. But now that they recognize it, Take the steps needed to make sure that this never happens again. Every team that we play moving forward is not going to sit there and say, "Oh yeah, give us your fifty percent effort." We can, t- we'll still let you win the game. Everyone's coming for us, and we have to be ready for it.
0: Yeah, and I'll tell you one place where the effort intentionally translated to to rebounding. I mean, that's always a place that you can look for, and it shows up. Duke won the rebounding battle, thirty-eight to thirty-three. Frankly, I'm I'm a little surprised that we won the rebounding battle. Um, g- given the way the game looked and the way it, it sort of played out. Uh, we talked about in the preview, Donald, this is a small Southern Indiana team. There are times when their tallest guy on the floor would be no taller than the, you know, like the third tallest guy on Duke. Uh, and, and and they should not have been able to compete with us for rebounds the way they did. I was, I, I was just disappointed. Uh, our guards, who've been outstanding rebounders in recent games, and we've talked about how much we need the guards to rebound. Irish Proctor got two. Jared McCain did not grab a single rebound. Jeremy Roach only got two. Our, our guards need to be helping out on the boards more than that. Frankly, frankly, Caleb Foster, who played fewer minutes than all three of those guys, had three rebounds. I mean, at least he was going out there and getting some boards for us. But I, I really felt like our effort on, on rebounds, uh, it, it, it was it was lacking throughout the entire contest. Even when we picked it up a little bit defensively, Defensive pressure and such. I, I still didn't feel like we were seeing Duke own the rebounding the way they should against a team of this size.
1: Yeah, and we had fourteen offensive rebounds, but eight of them came in the second half, and it felt like in the first half maybe the the six of them probably came again when you know Ryan Young got two at least two of
0: them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it was like when
1: Ryan Young was in the game, which you know wasn't that much uh, comparative to everybody else. So yeah, again, those are things. Also, it was 50-50 balls. Balls on the floor, loose balls. We only had a couple of times in the first half where you saw people diving on the floor for for loose balls or running after a long rebound. It it seemed like it it almost seemed like we were playing in concrete. You know that was slowly uh, slowly cementing right. Like it was slowly pulling together. But at the end of the day, you know, in the second half, that 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 effort intensity picked up. We were able to get rebounds again. Limit you know Southern Indiana to one shot going the other way. That's where a lot of our run came from, is that Southern Indiana wasn't making baskets, and we were, because we were getting the ball and going the other way. But that's, again, effort can be a two-way thing. And, and honestly, like the bad games that any individual person may have had, I, I chalk that up to the fact that t- on the team level, the effort, energy, intensity, those three bullet points were not there. And I think that if you if you take that and ratchet it up a little bit, then some of these guys have better games than they did.
0: Yeah. All right. So uh, about to wrap up the bad, I I have two things I'll I'll, additionally want to mention. We've talked about the poor shooting that Duke only hit 27% from three, three point range. That's just not, that's not good. But I also noticed free throws. We only hit 60% of our free throws and there were a lot of points that we left, you know, just sitting there on the rim. And we're normally (laughs)
1: hitting closer to 80%. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it was a problem. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about. So I have a good buddy, uh, lived in my my dorm freshman year, class of 89, Chris Farrell. Chris has joined us on the podcast in the past. He's been our representative uh, at some stuff because he lives there in Durham. He goes to virtually every game. And Chris pointed something out. And there's no, Donald, you're not going to know about this. I don't think anybody who wasn't at the game would know about this. Uh, But I'd be interested in hearing from folks who were there to see if they thought the same thing. Chris said in the pregame, he noticed the announcer was, he said, you know, the regular announcer he thinks was on break because it didn't sound like it was the same guy as usual. And the guy who was doing the announcing, he thought was very disrespectful of Southern Indiana. He said that at the start of the game, the intros were just like, name and number, number 12, Donald wine, number 18, Jason Evans, like no hometown, no class year no height no position nothing else and it sort of stuck out to him and he just said sort of like the way it sounded and just the cadence of it and everything it felt disrespectful it was like he said it felt to him like like the announcer you know didn't care who the southern indiana players were just like yeah whatever you know here's the guy here's a name and a number and he was like you know if he'd been a player for southern indiana chris said to me he's like i'd be fired up i'd be mad if the public address announcer treated us like that, I don't, again, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that that was, that other people noticed it or that that was the case, but it was a very interesting observation from Chris. And I, I just thought it was worth pointing out because they sure play Southern Indiana sure played like they were angry at the start of that game.
1: Well, I, I uh, my thought on that is if it's a substitute and again, I, we weren't there, Jason. So we can't, we can't confirm whether it was a sub or, or someone like that. If it's a substitute, It'd be one thing if it was the normal announcer doing that when he normally does something else. But if it's a substitute guy that's probably just like, hey, this guy's, you know, not here. I need you to step in, read this time, read this sheet. I'll say in a lot of NBA arenas, they do that too. And it's not like I mean, they'll be like number thirty five, Kevin Durant. Like they'll say a very deadpan, and that's part of the allure of, oh, it's just the we're not here to, you know, root for the opposing team. So I'm not gonna, you know, really say that it was disrespectful because I can't, I wasn't there. I will say that, you know, when it comes to things like that, those are little details that people pick up on. And if it's, if you're the sub or whatever, you still are expected to perform at a Duke level. That's everybody, right? The managers are expected to perform at a Duke level. The coaches, everybody in that gym, the Cameron crazies, everybody's expected to perform at the level respect uh, that is required and expected. So whenever something that like that happens, it opens the door for people to view that as disrespect,
0: yeah. Okay, so uh, if you're cool with it, man, let's get to the play of the game.
1: Um, is there a play of the game that you have other than what I have because I think it's the same one?
0: I'm pretty sure <laughs> you I'm go first. Sure we're gonna go have ahead. the same play of the game, it was much. proctor to flip to proctor. Kyle feeds Tyrese, he runs through the middle of the lane and just throws down a vicious, like a it's one of those slams that where your eyes go open and you're like, damn, did that just happen? <laughs> did not expect to see that and it ends up in a very interesting way because it ended up not only with an and one, but like technical fouls assessed all over the place and stuff. <laughs> Tyra's kind of stepping over the dude a little bit, I, you know, I, clearly the play of the game. What's your opinion on the technical there?
1: Look, so first of all, I, I just won't let you know, Jason, that I also wrote damn in my, in my uh, notes. So we're, <laughs> we're on point today. Um, but look, he he dunked, he got undercut. And I, I know it wasn't an intentional undercut, but it was an undercut nonetheless. And when guys get undercut while dunking and are not able to come down naturally, yeah, that pisses people off. And so it's not like he stepped over him. He definitely tried to stare at him. And the referee was right there to kind of push him back because the referee knew that as soon as as soon as soon Tyrese Proctor came down that he was visibly upset at that. Um, And it, 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 here's the thing in the replay, he didn't say anything. It was just a stare down. So, I mean, look they're giving technicals offers for, for stare downs. I, I, I agree with the technical. I, I, I don't want to say I'm okay with guys getting technicals, but in that case, yo man, you just post some dude. He tried to undercut you. Like I would do the same thing. I would get the technical. I'd be upset about it, but at the end, it didn't <laughs> affect his play.
0: <laughs> exactly. All right. So we got the same player of the uh, play of the game. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back from the break, we're going to tell you our player of the week and got a little bit of football to talk about blue devils going bowling regular season over ends on a win way to go we'll have the details after the break okay we are back from the break and you know we've forgotten to do this for a couple weeks but we are now remembering and we will continue to remember at least i hope (laughs) we could we might forget if, if we gonna... forget,
1: if we forget, dbrpodcast at gmail.com.
0: Keep us, send us those emails. Uh, time for our player of the week as we wrap up our basketball talk for the moment. Uh, Donald, who you got? I've got two potential nominees. I'm interested in seeing which one you take.
1: Yeah, I had a couple I was leaning towards, but I in the end I went with Kyle Filipowski, uh, 17. 17- Points, five rebounds against LaSalle, 21 points, 14 rebounds against Southern Indiana, probably our most consistent player in the week. There was a couple of guys who maybe had a good game against one team and not as great a game against the other team. And that's that's thing. Those are things that we are going to have to deal with here uh, on the player of the week segment. But uh, I think Kyle Filipowski was our most consistent player. And again, he showed up uh, in both games when we needed it.
0: Yeah, so I I definitely considered Flip. He's way up there. 38 points and 19 rebounds in a week. <laughs> it's a pretty good week. He also, by the way, had five block shots this week. But I went with Tyrese Proctor. 33 points, 11 assists, 9 rebounds this week. 11 of 18 on field goals. So 61% on his regular field goals, including three of seven three-pointers, 43% on his three-pointers. Even, you know, following a LaSalle game where we, you know, we said he didn't shoot all that great. I thought Proctor had a really good week and part of why I'm picking him is because he was a piece of that stellar defensive effort that we spent so much time talking about earlier on the podcast. And it's easy to fall into the trap of talking about all these offensive statistics. Tyrese Proctor is clearly a great defender for Duke and showed it multiple times this week. And so, I, you know, I'm going to reward that as much as I want to reward the offense. So I went with Tyrese Proctor. That's a great choice.
1: Week. Great, great choice.
0: Hey, I got one last really quick thing before we get to the football. Um, I mentioned my brother and I, my brother-in-law and I were, were watching the the Southern Indiana game and he's a big Duke fan. And he was, we were talking a little about the multi-team event. You know, all these other schools are off in Atlantis and Maui and other places like that playing a bunch of power five programs and the such. And he was like, ah, you know, there's a piece of me that's like, why isn't Duke, why did Duke set up this somewhat silly Blue Devil challenge where, frankly, all three of the opponents were not expected to be much of a challenge. And we were chatting about it some. And and part of what we pointed out, I I was like, you know, how much does it really matter at this point in the season to play one or two more good teams sandwiched in between Michigan State and Arkansas? I mean, like, you know, Duke's already played some really good teams. We're about to play another one in Arkansas. Like the schedule, this early season schedule is very challenging. Like, how much is it going to impact the team when we get to February and March when it really matters whether we played an extra good team or two right now? Like, I actually think there's something to be said for the fact that we've spread it out a little bit. So there's time, you know, you play a good team, there's time maybe to work on some things, play another good team, time to work on some things. You know, after Arkansas, we're gonna have Baylor coming up a couple of weeks later, it there's some logic to all of this. But the thing my brother-in-law pointed out that I thought was really interesting, he said. You know, rather than going a long distance rather than flying someplace dealing with you know, this crazy holiday airport traffic and stuff like that, even though I know the team flies differently from with the way the rest of us fly, <laughs> there's still there's still you know, some difficulty with with all this travel. He said Duke chose to stay home, and he speculated to me. He was like, you know, I bet I bet they invited like a lot of the families to come in and hang out with the team. I bet the fact that we're playing bad opponents, you know, mediocre opponents kind of means that Shire will be able to use the bench more. It didn't work out against Southern Indiana, but these other games in this MTE, the other the other recent games we played, Duke really got to, to stretch out the bench a bit more. And he was like, you know, I wonder if they brought all the families in, had a big team dinner and stuff like that. Look, I, I, I said to him, I go, you know, I'll, I can check with some sources. <laughs> and it turns out Duke did have a lot of the families of the players came in to be a part of the collective family of the Duke basketball team. And they had a big, big family Turkey dinner on Thursday night, all the players, all their families. I can't even imagine how many people it was. I bet it was a a very large event. Not every I'm told that not every family made it in, but a lot of them did. And anyway, I I just thought it was interesting that my brother-in-law had this theory and then I checked it out. It makes a lot of sense. You know, especially if you've got the kind of schedule that Duke has to not go crazy Thanksgiving week with, with some really difficult tournament in some far-off place. What do you think about all this, Donald?
1: Well, Jason, when we get done with this recording, I'm going to ask you what recording device you have on my computer uh, because you clearly are looking at my notes. Uh, because in my notes... Really? really? In my notes, I have a, a, a comment from John Shire in his press conference about this very thing. And here's what he wrote. He talked about you know, the three games that we played and how they weren't, you know, traditional. Uh, it wasn't a traditional multi-level or multi-team event that we normally have. But he said, quote, it's a great learning experience for us in playing these three games. And the challenge has been very, really good. It's been different being at home for Thanksgiving for this week because we are so used to being in other places. But for this year, the way the schedule worked out, this was a really good thing. I do not anticipate us being in this position going forward so this is something where he says yes this is like a a quirk in the schedule where hey we're playing a couple of good opponents we have another good opponent we wanted to kind of space this out give us a chance at home but at the end of the day i don't think the blue devil challenge is going to have necessarily a year two next year this may be something where it you know the quirk of the schedule worked itself out but maybe next next year we end up hitting the road to one of these uh Tournaments, because again jason as i mentioned they're all over tv and the fact that you know duke was at home yeah. while everyone was elsewhere it kind of leads duke fans to be like why don't you know send the guys somewhere for for thanksgiving and give them uh, give them a chance to go somewhere on the road it doesn't necessarily need to be maui or or the bahamas or something like that but give them a, a, a competition against and we've been in new york in some of these you know before yeah. with duke, yep. the nit season classic and things like that empire classic but for them to hit the road and kind of get that experience on the road also, again, while bonding as a, as a family, as a team, and also their family being able to travel as well is something that I think Duke fans like. But I do appreciate the fact that the Duke families, the, the families of the players were able to come in and make this more of a traditional Christmas, especially given how young our team still is.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's not forget. <laughs> this is a team that is full of of younger guys, even though we feel like they're more experienced than usual. Uh, you know, especially uh, deep tease, Donald. We're going to be previewing the Arkansas game. That Arkansas team is really old. <laughs> old, old as dirt. <laughs> <laughs> they are really old. We're going to be getting to that in the next day or so. But uh, that's going to wrap it up for our basketball conversation right now. We're going to quickly turn to football because uh, Jim Sumner, who covers the Duke football team, tells me that the Blue Devils just completed their first undefeated ACC season at home since 1989. And it is also the first time in Duke history that they've won six home games. That's because they had a dominant second half against a Pittsburgh team that we've had a lot of trouble with in recent years. Duke-Pittsburgh. A lot of shootouts. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And usually Duke ends up on the wrong end of the shootout. But the Blue Devils win this game, their final regular season game, take their record to 7-5. and Uh, A lot of seniors got a great send-off in this game. Uh, Talk to me. Donald, a little bit about, you know, what you saw from the Blue Devils in in a very, very big win and a nice way to cap off what's been a a, a challenging season, a, a super difficult season in terms of the schedule and injuries and stuff. But seven and five is you should be damn proud of that record.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, given the fact that we were of national relevance early in the season, and then the injury bug really took us out of it. That's really the reason why we are seven and five and not maybe nine and three or even ten and two because there's we definitely had some close battles. That could have gone the other way had we had some healthy guys in there. But I do think when we talk about the, the position has had probably the most injuries, the quarterback position, Grayson Loftus, I thought, had his best game uh, so far in a Duke uniform. Twenty for 37 248 yards, two TDs. The only interception that he had was right at the end of the first half. He was trying to throw a Hail Mary, and his arm was clipped. And the ball kind of went up in the air and like an arm punt and it was picked off. So, again, like chalk that up to him trying to make a play at the very end of the half. It didn't it didn't harm Duke because it was there were zeros on the clock when this happened. So I'm okay with that. Jordan Moore and Jalen Calhoun really ran the show. They combined for 15 catches, 177 yards and two TDs. Duke's offensive line, shout out to them. They allowed zero sacks yesterday. Grayson Loftus, his shirt was clean. Uh, He only had four plays where Duke was tackled behind the line of scrimmage converse that with Duke's defense. They had four sacks and 10 tackles for loss. And they had Jeremiah Lewis with an interception, Nick Morris with 12 tackles. So I thought all sides of the ball were great. And I'll end Jason with this. We played tough. We ended the game great. And when we needed to get points and we need to get field position, I want to shout out a team that we don't normally shout out on this podcast, the kicking team, Todd Polino three for three from field goals, longest field goal, 48 yards three for three and extra points. He was again, perfect on the day. Porter Wilson, our punter, three punts, two of them landed and and ended inside the 20 yard line. Again, this was a game where field position led to a lot of points for us. And the fact that he was able to pin pit so deep gave us a lot of great field position that we turned into points on the other end. So shout out to those two, shout out to the rest of the team and and the coaching staff for rebounding after what was a a pretty difficult three weeks. We had the, the, we, we had to you know, necessarily come from behind to beat wake, uh, on that Thursday, we lose in in heartbreaking fashion to UNC. We lose a late game to UVA and then we come back against Pitt to end the season seven and five, four and four in the ACC. I I think this helps us as we move along. I think, you know, if we were, if we had lost this game, we're talking about some pretty, you know, pity bowl bowl games that we're going to now we kind of, I mean, I think we're kind of locked into one. We'll talk about that in just a second, but I think this team showed a lot of fight to get back to the winning side of the column uh, against Pitt.
0: Yeah, and and a couple other things I want to just mention really quickly. Uh, first of all, a hat tip to Jalen Calhoun. With his final reception of that game, he had topped 3,000 yards um, receiving in a Duke uniform uh, over his five-year career. I mean, wow. That's just
1: 3,000 yards. He's <laughs> that's only, a he's, only the, he's only the fourth Duke player to do that
0: exactly it is really really impressive i also want to mention uh we we you know we've talked a little bit about the impressive transition that jordan moore made from being a quarterback to being a wide receiver he had over 100 yards receiving in each of duke's final two games uh he is he is only a junior and i'm really excited about what he's going to be next season i think that he has truly come into his own he is a uh, you know he's a he's an uh a, uh, an all ACC contender, I think, coming into next year, um, and uh, it's a very you know Duke's in an interesting situation. We don't know if we're going to get Riley Leonard back for our bowl game. Uh, Grayson Loftus though looks better and better. I mean, he's a true freshman. You get freshmen who play quarterback sometimes, but usually they're you know they're guys who redshirted. It is it is surprising to have a true freshman performing as well as Grayson Loftus is. And and, and lastly, before we get into the bowl thing, I just wanted to really quick. Reflect. I mean, this team had some huge wins, huge wins. Mm-hmm. Win against Clemson, obviously. But I, look back on that NC State. Have you looked at the ACC standings? NC State's like the third best team in the ACC. <laughs>
1: they killed UNC yesterday,
0: <laughs> <laughs> right? They mollycoddled UNC,
1: and, and we made them look like like yeah. the bottom tier of the ACC when they yeah, played
0: we, us. we beat them twenty four to three when we were reeling from the from the loss of Riley Leonard. I mean. Uh, some of these and there's several other wins in the schedule that you look back on and you go, that's something you can be incredibly proud of Duke blue devils. Uh, I I thought it's an excellent. It's not look, there was a point in this season where we thought this might be something like truly magical. Like you said, nine or 10 wins. And and they, they, they came up a little bit short of that, but, but then then the other thing I wanted to mention, there are a whole bunch of seniors who played their final game in a Duke uniform yesterday. I mean, I talked about Jalen Calhoun There are tons of other guys. I'm not going to mention all of them, but they should be super proud of themselves because as much credit as we give to Mike Elko and his staff for rising this team out of real, real doldrums, there were a couple of years where Duke was really not good at football. And as much as credit is given to the staff, credit also has to be given to the players. They're the ones who execute what the staff asked them to do. And we will miss these seniors. They are they are a spe- it is a special senior class that has been able to turn around this program and turn us into a, a really really good nationally recognized program.
1: I, I wanted to also shout out Mike Elko for sticking to paying attention to some of these details. And what I mean by that is uh, my friend Rosie was at the game yesterday. She she goes to almost every Duke basketball game every you know, Duke football game. She's on the faculty there at Duke. Uh, one of my really close friends. And she mentioned, she's like, hey, did they, you know, I, I was a video assistant on the football team when I was there. And they did you know, senior year happened. They, they didn't rec- recognize us. They recognized those guys yesterday. They recognized the managers. And I know, I know Sam was a an equipment manager uh, for the Duke football when he was there. Recognize those guys. Recognize the cheerleaders, the band. Like those those type of players, you know, people who were involved with the process that is putting on a Duke football performance. And I think those attention to details are terrific. And and I commend Mike Elko and, and the coaching staff at Duke for, for recognizing those players who put those people who put so much effort into making this team go from the guys who, again, Wash everything to make sure everything's ready for for game days and for practices to the guys who break down the film like I used to do so that these guys can get better in the film room every single day. All those people contribute to the success, and I'm glad that they were also recognized uh, on their senior game as well. So congratulations to everybody involved with the Duke program. Now, Jason, we get to talk about.
0: Bowl where we get game, to Go Where we get yeah. to go. So what you got? Tell, tell me where you think we're going.
1: So I look. There are First of all, shout out to the ACC. Um, when you combined Notre Dame, there were 12 teams that became bowl eligible yesterday. The two teams that were left that were uh, able to become bowl eligible, there was only two teams that were, needed one win, and that was Syracuse and Virginia Tech, and both of them won yesterday. So that brings us up to 12 teams that are bowl eligible because of that and also because of the fact that Florida State is, you know, on the verge, you know, they're, they're teetering with that college football playoff that can help elevate so many uh, teams up a, up a bowl, up a tier, essentially. I think what's going on right now is that Duke is pretty probable to be playing in the Duke's Mayo Bowl, which is in Charlotte on December 27th. Uh, the great thing, Jason, about this, we haven't been to that bowl since 2012. It was the Belk Bowl back then. It was the first bowl that we'd been to, you know, under David Cutcliffe in such a long time. It was like almost two decades. Uh, that was, when a, we went we played
0: was that the, you we played Cincinnati? We played Cincinnati. Yeah. It's um, a heck of a game. Yeah. It was,
1: it was, it was the origin, it was the originator of the Scott Van Pelt bad beats segment on SportsCenter. Um, But it, again, we, we showed a lot of fight in that, again, our first bowl game in a long time. We haven't been back to Charlotte since then. I think this is the year that we end up going back to Charlotte. And the great thing about this, Jason, is we get to face an sec opponent. A lot of people have said either Kentucky or Auburn might be that opponent, and I think that would be a real test for the Blue Devils. For me, I think when it comes to some of these bulls, when we're playing the UCS of the world, it becomes a, it, 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 in like the AACs and the group of five conferences. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes where we're just one of those you know, college football games that are on TV that people tune in to watch because there's nothing going on around the holidays instead of a primetime matchup that people want to see. I think if we play an SEC team, no matter who it is, and again, if it's Duke or, or Kentucky or Auburn, that's going to be a matchup that people are going to want to see. That's going to be a matchup that guys are going to get up for. Hopefully, we get everybody back healthy. I know Riley Leonard is the biggest question mark, but again, the way that Grayson Loftus has continued to improve, you have to expect three more weeks of practice will help us with that. But yep. Jason, I also think when it comes to the ACC, we just have a lot of terrible bowls that we're tied into. I hope that, and this is one of Wait, the pre-
0: we got 12 teams. Of course, they're, they're, they can't all be great bowl games.
1: They can't all be great bowl games, but we have some bowl games that are in baseball stadiums. Um, we like yeah. to at least play in a football stadium. We play in the Strike bowl. If we had lost yesterday, we probably would have gone to Fenway, which nobody sh- shout out to Sam. Nobody's trying to go to Boston in late December to play a bowl game. Trust me on that. <laughs> but i think jason what's going to be interesting about this particular bowl season is the fact that the pac 12 will become the pac 2 next year and a lot of those tie ends are going to be up in the air i look for ac for the acc to go after some of these bowls and some of this realignment of bowls to try and get some bowls not just prestigious bowl you know names like the liberty bowl or the music city bowl bowls that if you see if you say the name everyone goes oh who are the opponents that's probably going to be good you want to go after some of these ones that have tie-ins where you're playing power five conferences. You're playing those kind of opponents because again, just ACC versus Big 12, ACC versus Big 10, that is going to generate excitement on its own and it's going to generate excitement for the teams to play in them. And I think that's what you want. You don't want, you know, a Duke team to go 7 and 5 and go, "Oh, our reward is to go to, you know, the you know, the independence bowl or to the quick lane bowl, which we've been to in previous years. Yeah. That doesn't that doesn't exude confidence in wanting to play in a bowl game. You want guys to be like, Oh, we're playing we're playing in the holiday bowl against against who? Yeah, I'm there. I'm ready. And it also generates excitement for the fan base. So again, I think if it's in Charlotte, I think that's the probably the best case scenario because we'll play a good opponent and we'll be able to get a lot of our fans down there. It's a primetime game uh, or at least like late afternoonish, early evening ish. So it'll be when a lot of people are getting off of work and turning on the TV. So we'll see in the next few days. I think both tie-ins lock on December 3rd. So we have a week left. They'll wait for all the conference tournaments. But at right. the end of the day, I think that Duke will probably end up in Charlotte call it Auburn, call it Kentucky, but you can just consider me right there in Charlotte with the team.
0: I like it. I like it. All right, that's going to wrap it up here on the latest edition of the Duke Basketball Roundup. As a reminder, send us those emails, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. That's how you can reach out to us. Send us your headlines, your plays of the game after each time Duke plays. Also, don't forget, go to Home Field Apparel. Use the code dbrpodcast. You get to save some money off some fine looking duke gear or you know if you want to buy gear for someone else you can do that as well and still use the same code so (laughs) it saves you a little bit of money puts a couple pennies in doll in my pocket not more than a couple pennies but you know we gotta (laughs) we gotta take care of ourselves a little bit here but anyway for donald wine i am jason evans happy thanksgiving to all of you be sure to check your feed we're gonna be coming up with a arkansas preview very very shortly until then he's donald i'm jason and this is the duke band to play us out and take us home.